Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. And welcome to Star Wars Action News, episode 492. This is Marjorie. I'm not dead. Not yet. This is Arnie. You were really sick. And that's where we've been. We want to let you guys know that we didn't disappear, but I had a really sick husband. People laugh at me because at celebration, I tend to say, I'm not going to shake hands. I'll fist bump. This is why I fist bump. I caught something at Toy Fair. It could just be New York. You know, there are subways. Or it could be one of the multitudes of hands I shook at Toy Fair. But wow, did I get down with the sickness. We're back. Everyone's healthy. We're gearing up for celebration. We've got lots of things to talk about. I've been getting emails. And I get this every year, it seems. Because there's a celebration every year, it seems. Rumor has it there's not one next year. Rumor has it next time, 2019, Anaheim, perhaps, to tie into Star Wars Land at Disneyland, perhaps. But people want to know two things. First, can we provide a rundown of Celebration exclusives? And second, what kind of tips can we provide for Star Wars Celebration for people who are going for the first time? And I think, especially since Celebration... Anaheim had the highest attendance of any Star Wars celebration. There are a lot of you guys going to cons for the first time, and a lot of old-timers, sadly, a lot of our friends aren't going to be able to make it this year. You know, kids, jobs, responsibilities, Easter weekend. The Easter bunny is really crimping people's plans. I'm just going to say, come on, bunny. I don't think bunnies are cute, but there's a lot of good things about Easter. However, celebration is going to be missing some very fine folk. So we're going to go through that now because it is about 28 days till celebration begins. I know that's crazy. 28 days, four weeks, but that's where we're at. We're going to have one show between now and then. We want to make sure you guys have plenty of time to listen to this episode and get everything you need. Bottle of water and a comfy pair of shoes for celebration. Before we get into the show, though, I have to have one correction from our last proper episode. I mean, it (laughs) seems like it's been a long time since we put out a show. We did do a lot of coverage from Toy Fair, though. We did a lot of videos on our YouTube channel and Facebook page. So I hope you guys checked it out there and got to see all the coverage from Hasbro, Kotobukiya. But the big revelation for me was when we went to see Uncle Milton, and they had some cool stuff on display. But I need to issue a correction because on our last show... We reviewed the Uncle Milton Death Star Planetarium, and I had a hard time giving that a good review because the focus knob didn't turn, and I couldn't get a crisp picture no matter what I did. It turns out I got a faulty one. When we were at Toy Fair, they had one there, and I said, all right, normally you can't touch the displays, but I asked Hillary at Uncle Milton, and if you've ever gone to an Uncle Milton booth, you know Hillary. She's at Comic-Con every year. She's going to be at Celebration. Great person, very fun to talk to. I said, Hillary, can I play with the Death Star? 
So I went up and started twisting the focus knob. They had a little dark room and projecting it. And first of all, the focus knob turned perfectly. And second of all, it was a really crisp and sharp picture. I got a broken one, and so I did a review of a broken planetarium. Having seen a functional one now, it is much better. It's still, you know, listen to the review. It is three slides. I really like the Star Wars Space one. It's a higher-end item. You know, it's got the Black Series-style box. But seeing the pictures in crisp focus made a world or, or a galaxy of difference in my feeling on that item. But now let's talk Star Wars Celebration. And another big question we've had is, are we going to do a party this year? There will be a Star Wars Action News Gathering. It's a slightly bit informal, not like years past. And first of all, I want to shout out a big, big thank you to Dale, who some of you know from the forums and Facebook. He organized one in Anaheim last celebration and he's done this one again and it's a great time we had a lot of fun in anaheim this one we're going to be there too just like we were in anaheim the details are going to be on our facebook page it's the night before the con it's on wednesday night and yeah it's you have to register to come space is limited to 100 people but it's going to be a good time. You're going to get a chance to make some new friends who you can see at the convention. Some of the Star Wars Action News team will be there. Marjorie, me, Daryl, Steve the Ginger Prince, and his lovely wife, Suzanne, who I'm very excited to see for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, we haven't seen them in a while. And we're going to have door prizes. Yeah, we have some wonderful companies who've donated some prizes. So we've got some fun things from Hallmark, of course, because they're always wonderful to us. And new this year, we've got some Funko prizes, guys. And Kotobukiya is going to be donating some door prizes. That's just what we've got so far. It's sure to be a good time and again a great way to kick off the con before the first day you know it just once celebration starts on thursday every night is so crowded with so much to do including for marjorie and myself because we will be running the social area of the collecting track again and we've got some fun things going on there that we're going to be talking about here as much as we are allowed to talk about it so far only four weeks to go so hopefully there's not too many things we have to keep secret until the day of. We don't want to spring it on people. We want you to be able to plan and come by. So with all the stuff going on during celebration, we're looking forward to this Wednesday night bash kickoff. And if it's anything like Anaheim, some adult beverages will be invited. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a nice informal gathering. No one's going to be a stranger. It's Nice and calm and relaxed. Just kick back, enjoy the nice weather. I don't know about you guys. We just got recently a bunch of snow. It'll be nice to enjoy the warm weather. And you pay for whatever you eat. I hear a rumor that there might be an exclusive badge for the party, too. Yes. Really, again, celebration is swagtastic. It seems that there's not a lot of announcements about exclusives yet, but wow, 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 is there going to be swag, including from us. We haven't done convention badges for a few shows, but for Celebration, we're going to be doing five badges celebrating starting the fifth decade of Star Wars collecting. That's crazy. Anything about that? Because you have zero or one to ten 
Yeah, the math is weird, yeah. but we just completed four decades, so we are starting five decades. If you go 77, 87, 97, 2007, 2017, that's five decades. No, we're on the fifth decade. Well, we're starting the fifth decade, Yeah, it's yes. not been five decades. No. We but can there's... argue this until the horse is dead. I'm a computer scientist. I know math, and it's very weird like that. So yes, there will be five badges celebrating each era of collecting and celebrating a dozen years of Star Wars action news. So we are really looking forward to getting out there and doing all that. We're also taking part in a swag giveaway in the collector social area. We've done this for the past few celebrations. There's a great fan site meet and greet where some sites come together. You get to meet the people behind the sites. Jedi Temple Archives, Jedi News, Jedi Business, This Week in Star Wars, and of course, Star Wars Action News will all have slots in the collecting area. You can meet Chuck from Jedi Temple and Chris from Jedi Business, all the guys, and they're going to have a patch giveaway, but it's a puzzle patch as before. Not going to say what it is. Follow us on Facebook. Follow all these sites on Facebook and Twitter for the big reveal. But it's going to be a puzzle patch like we've done in years past. Again, really looking at the history of collecting here and some extra swag to give away. And we're going to have some buttons as well that we're giving away, just as Arnie and Marjorie, not as Star Wars Action News. And Marjorie may have some extra special swag coming up, but I'm trying to decide how to do it. And there's so much more swag that I want to get my hands on. Be sure to go to the Star Wars Celebration Collecting Track Facebook page where everybody, all those creative people are posting pictures of their swag and you can find out who it is you need to hunt down like you're a bounty hunter at this convention so you can get what they're given. Well... The collecting area is a great place to trade swag, too. Some people do it certain hours. Some people will do it just when they see you. But remember, swag is a freebie. It's a stuff we all get. That's what swag stands for. So make friends, get some stuff, give stuff if you've got it. The whole point is to meet people and have fun. While we're talking about the social area, there's a lot of fun stuff going on here. And if you're preparing for celebration, come check us out. I mean, it's a great place just to meet other collectors, of course, to see some items on display. But some things that are going to be going on, we're going to have some author signings in there. The biggest thing that the social area has done every year, the Saturday night swap meet after hours in the collector's social area. Everybody brings their wares and... There's always some great foreign items, vintage items, prototypes, all kinds of stuff. I never get out of there without picking up a few items that I never knew I had to have. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. And again, socialization. You're meeting new people. You're having fun. And then new this year and a way to get one of those pieces of the puzzle patch we're going to be doing video diaries of collecting memories. So if you come up, you can sign up on the sheet and just talk on camera about your collecting memories. And maybe it's a Midnight Madness you went to where you had to stand outside uh, in a line that went in front of a bar and people were wondering why you were an adult waiting for toys. Or maybe it's a specific toy you got as a kid. Whatever your stories are, whatever your collectible is, we're going to be doing kind of a video diary log thing of that that you'll be able to see yourself at future celebrations 
And speaking of the collecting track, the panel schedule just went out, and while we're working in the social area, I've got to find time to get over there for a few of those talks, absolutely, including one from Daryl. Yeah, that's really exciting. And of course, those are going to be really hard to get into because once again, they're giving away those much coveted Star Tots. And this year, there's an Ewok, there's an Emperor. You know, they keep doing these Star Tots. I don't think they're going to be done until they've done all 92 vintage figures. That's entirely possible. And then just think about having that glaring hole in your collection if you don't go to the panel and get one. (laughs) Well, luckily at the end, the extras are usually given away. You just line up and... You can pick over what's left, so that's always good. If you're there at the close of the con on Sunday, which I know a lot of people plan their leaving early, and for those who stay till the very end, there is that benefit of possibly getting the Star Tots you missed or getting a extra one of that favorite character you have. I know I went nuts waiting in line myself because I needed that extra Greedo a few years back. Speaking of exclusives, I couldn't talk about this at Toy Fair. (laughs) It's almost good that we didn't do a podcast since Toy Fair because Marjorie would have had to put a bit in my mouth like I was a horse to stop me from talking about the Kotobukiya exclusives. I am so excited for those. They went up online for non-attendees. I went ahead. I ordered all four because I absolutely love them. Now, I get that... If you aren't into Astromechs and you're not all in on Kotobukiya's Artifacts Plus line, maybe a few more Astromechs isn't going to excite you. But the fact that one of them is R5-D4, I mean, that's a major Astromech. That's not like that background droid, one of the eight that was on the Queen's starship and got blown off the top in the (laughs) opening scenes of Phantom Menace. This is (laughs) R5-D4. Not like droid number eight of a line of 20. Yes. Coda always does good work, and if you've ever thought, oh, I need to pick one of those up one day, definitely do. Their stuff is tremendous, it's high quality, it looks good, fabulous price point, and they're a really good company. And their exclusives come with a coin that you only get with the exclusives, and they've been doing that for so many years now. I mean, the Barnes & Noble exclusives have them, the convention exclusives have them. All very cool, but my absolute favorite from this celebration is a two-pack. It's from the Marvel Comics run, so these are not movie characters. You can get R2-X2, R4-M9, R5-D4, and these are giving some new astromech heads there. Notice we got R4s and R5s, so they can get some more of those types out later. But for the two-pack is triple zero with BT-1. I think these characters are a couple of the best things to come out of the modern Marvel comic run from the Darth Vader, the Dr. Aphra comics. And the best thing is tying in with Marvel comics. One of the variant artists doing the covers there is Adi Granov, who we've covered quite a bit on Marvelicious Toys because he worked with Kotobukiya. He designed their Avengers and their X-Men, give them the art for their Artifacts Plus statues there. Well, if you get this Triple Zero BT-1 set, you're going to get an exclusive. It's a little print. It fits in the box, so it's probably 8-inch square, but it's original Adi Granov art that you're going to get a print of only if you get that set. That's the first time Kodo's doing that. I got to see the art. I am a huge fan of Adi. I get some of his 
original art from when he worked for West End Games. He was selling that really cheap at Comic-Con last year, and I got a roadie in and things. And he just does amazing covers. I pick up almost every Star Wars cover he does. This is an exciting thing. And it was my number one must-have of all announced Celebration exclusives. The fact that they use this really cool metallic bluish-black paint on Triple Zero, too. The pictures on Facebook do not do that protocol droid justice. But mum's the word on exclusives, really. I mean... Yeah, there's really not that much that we've heard yet. Now, we did find out about the Hasbro X-Wing Luke 6-inch figure, the Black Series on the vintage card. So interesting, this... 40th anniversary series. I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk about it, but if you're a loose six-inch figure collector, or if you're not into the six-inch line, this is a total skip because every figure here is repacked. Now, admittedly, the R2-D2 and even the X-Wing Luke being older six-inch figures have gone up in price on the secondary market, but the point here is really for carded collectors. And The X-Wing Luke was the nicest of these, though, because the exclusive, it's going to be foil carded. And of course, X-Wing Luke was not in the original 12. So while they're doing the original 12 figures, this is a way to get a 13th figure in. I'm really hoping they do another one for San Diego because 13 is a number I just don't like. So if they do one for Comic-Con, then we'll have 14. But I don't know how they're going to sell this. Hasbro hasn't had a booth selling things at Celebration in a while, and this would be the only item they're selling unless they bring figures by the case to sell, which they've done in the past, where you could just buy a case of figures to get them, even though they're not exclusive. But will Hasbro have their own booth? Will these be just part of the Celebration store? I'm waiting for those details. And really, from the Celebration store, the only thing we've had with any certainty is the pins again. And some t-shirts. They've yeah, shown and, some and shirts. And some t-shirts. Yeah, there are some t-shirts. I know the pin trading was huge among a few people in Anaheim. I don't know if it's going to be as big here. I think, oh, it is. Is it? Okay. Think about just how nuts they've gone with this. And Reed's been copying this because they also do the swag for Marvel at conventions. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing these pins for the Marvel booth at San Diego. This is a pretty big thing, and much like the Star Tots, it's just going to get a group of people absolutely frenzied about it. But we have a slight difference here. Now, we've experienced in Orlando for two years, moved to Anaheim, and now we're back in Orlando. Anaheim had a little bit of a boost because it was under a mile away from Disneyland, and they were selling reduced-price tickets to season pass holders. And if you're at Disneyland when it gets too hot, head on over to Star Wars Celebration because you got tickets for like 20 bucks. True. Here, though, I mean, I don't know that they're doing any specials, like that there are some ties with Disney World in Orlando, but I just think everybody has that thing they love to collect. And that's what I love about collectors is you find your thing, you focus on it, you obsess over it, and you hoard it. (laughs) And I mean that in the most loving way because we all look at each other and knowingly. But I was able to escape the pin trading craze last year thanks to Robert Horning, who was able to get me the one I needed, Greedo. He was really into the pin trading and went all out for that and... He was great to help me get the one I needed. I'm more character focused on these things, so I will look at them. I'll probably pick up a couple in the store. Once you get in that celebration store, there's a certain frenzy that takes over. 
Yeah, it's often like supermarket sweep. I mean, I and you and Andrew both watched people just like take armfuls of the pins and just sweep them into their shopping bag. So it's going to be a little different, maybe to be a little bit more controlled and it's not going to be so frenzied. I'm really happy. It was really expensive and I'm hoping to get everything out of it, but I was able to get one of the VIP badges before they sold out. So I'm going to get to go into the store with just the other VIPs and not have a two hour wait in line. And this is good because working in the social area, sometimes I don't have time to stand in line for autographs. The first year we did the celebration collecting area, I had a real problem because I had pre-purchased an Ian McDermott autograph ticket and just the line to get to him was hours long and I didn't have that time. So hopefully the VIP ticket is going to really help me out because of shopping like that and some autographs, which we'll talk about in a little bit. As far as exclusives, there's only two more that have been announced as of this recording. Delray Books bringing Thrawn into their new Star Wars canon with a Timothy Zahn novel. They're marketing this like I haven't seen a book for Star Wars marketed in years. They're doing three covers of this book. One is Barnes & Noble only. Then there's the regular cover. Then there will be a celebration exclusive cover that you can only get there. So that is going to be, it's pretty cool. It's not, I was thinking, as cool as, remember Celebration 3? They had a leather bound version of the Episode 3 novel. Yeah, that was really awesome. But it was $120. And I remember standing there and I'm a Star Wars book collector. And I'm like, I want this book. I want this variant of it. But $120. And then we ended up seeing them at our local Barnes and Noble on discount for like $80 and things, sometimes $60. So part of me is like, well, I wish they were doing something really collectible, leather bound or something. But I'm also not sure that that was successful for them with Revenge of the Sith. So and then I don't do the Star Wars Hot Wheel cars, except for, you know, like the Greedo ones. I absolutely love the art on the cards. I just don't get into the cars themselves. But Mattel is going to have an exclusive Biggs Darklighter Hot Wheels car there. Funko is going to be announcing their exclusives possibly as soon as tomorrow. So keep an eye on them. And I wonder if that's going to be as crazy as it was at Emerald City and San Diego and New York. It's probably not going to be that crazy because you're limiting the licenses and it's a much smaller convention than any of those conventions. And they weren't bad at Anaheim. I remember Celebration Anaheim, they were bad. And I had to go pretty early one morning to stand in line and you opened the collecting area while I went down there and got in line pretty fast because things were selling out quickly. The problem okay. was you had to get there early because they'd sell out of the day's allotment. But when I made it my number one priority, I was able to get down there and get mm-hmm. the pops. And of course, every celebration has exclusive art. And I love the Artist Alley of Celebrations because I feel like As a Star Wars collector, this is the area where I've grown most between Celebration 3, which was right before we started the show, and now Celebration 8, I guess this would be. And Matt and John Senstrude kind of introduced me to the area. And 
At first, I was really daunted. There were so many prints, and my completest mindset just kind of screamed about how much there was in the way of this type of art. But now I absolutely love knowing some of the artists and seeing some of what they've done. And there's a few pieces here that I am absolutely gaga for. I have to have the Matt Bush print. That is tremendous. It is... I can't even describe it. It's like a cartoony version of all kinds of different toys. And they're just they're really neat the way it's arranged. I don't know. It's like a hodgepodge of everything. I mean, you see all different kinds of things on here. There's the old glasses. You know what it reminds me of? What? Todd Carlton's collector book. You know how when Todd Carlton puts out his Star Wars collectible guides mm-hmm. and the front cover is this hodgepodge of all types of collectibles? It's like that style, but it's an artistic rendering instead of photographs. And the fact that there's action figures and a Star Wars guitar and all this various types of stuff, I can see why you like that. I do too. I mean, look, you can even see like down towards the bottom, right? There's Mighty Mugs. Yep, and there's Funkos in there. There's C-3PO cereal, old Topps trading cards. The Rebel Troop Transport. Starlog Magazine with that classic Boba Fett cover. Uh-huh. This is celebrating 40 years of collecting. And this is amazing. I have to have that. It's just, it's so cool. I like BB-8s there. Unfortunately, the god-awful Chewbacca mask is on there, but hey, it's part of history, I suppose. I am also a big fan of Jeff Carlyle's print, if you saw that one. It kind of has somewhat of a similar montage quality. It shows four little kids standing in front of like this wall covered in Star Wars posters that includes the Macquarie art from Splinter of the Mind's Eye cover, the Phantom Menace poster, the four kids are cosplaying. So you've got... They're... Poe, Finn, Ray, and Kylo Ren, but the various history of posters behind them is so cool. There's also a lot of Leia art this year, which is people paying tribute to Carrie Fisher. The one I really liked, I've always liked his style of art, but Chris Trevis did one of Leia in front of Darth Vader. There's a couple Leia Vader pieces, but with the Tantive in the background and the rebel troops to the side with their hands above their head and just the look on Leia's face there and capturing the Carrie Fisher attitude, I gotta have that piece. You know, just going through them, I kind of like Desert Palace by Brian DeGuire. It's like that boxy style of art, and it looks like a vintage poster for Jabba's Palace. They're hiring dancers, featuring the Max Rebo band. You're really into that kind of angular art. It, it's not Jake art, but it's very... It, it's They both go with the 90-degree angle head type thing. I would almost say frenetic. Well... It's, it just seems to me not as calm, and that's kind of the art I'm drawn to. But then again, I also really liked Brian Miller's poster with the trench run. I think that one's really cool, too. Yeah, I do like that poster. His is part of his series of those space posters. A lot of the posters you're seeing here are artists' continuing series they've done before. And I like it because you see ships. There seems like the artists are drawn to characters, and you don't get... A lot of vehicle art. No, I really like how vintage it looks. You know, it looks like it could be a book cover or it could be a a VCR cover or something. You know what I mean? Like a slip cover for that. It just has that good look. And I don't know, I really like it. It's got a lot of personality. 
I'm also drawn to William O'Neill's piece. It's minimalist. It's called For Luck, and it has Luke and Leia swinging over the chasm. But it is just this, primarily, it's a painting of the chasm, and the figures are not very detailed. It's really looking at just the blue of it. It's almost a mood piece that I I just like it because it's so different than any type of Star Wars art I've seen before. Yeah, I really like it because the characters aren't the focus of it. It's really neat. And I'm happy that there's everything here. There's a couple really nice Rogue One pieces. Joshua Smith's K2SO is one of a couple Rogue One pieces. Of course, there's some Force Awakens art, but there's also quite a bit of original trilogy. There's a Rebels piece. And if I squint, I think that Watchful Guardian by Chris D is kind of a prequel piece. It looks like a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan shortly after episode three while he's hanging out on Tatooine. It's the closest thing I can really find to prequel art. So definitely, if you see pieces you like, Go to that artist's Facebook page. A lot of them are going up for pre-order, and then you can just pick them up at the con or head down to the artist area. And if you like some of the artists, see if they're doing any sketches at the con. You can sometimes say, hey, I want you to draw me a Padme or I want you to draw me a Jar Jar, and they'll tell you what they're charging. Not every artist does it, but quite a few do. And it's why I really love Artist Alley at conventions like C2E2 and New York Comic Con. Now, Daryl actually got to talk to Brian DeGuire about his art piece, the one Marjorie is going to be picking up. So here is Daryl talking to Brian about the upcoming celebration. Hello, Star Wars Action News fans. This is Daryl, and today I'm joined by Star Wars artist and Celebration Orlando Art Show participant, Brian DeGuire. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Daryl. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, so the reason I want to talk to you today is that you, it was recently announced that you were part of the Celebration Art Show, and uh, you have to be a previous Star Wars artist in order to be eligible for that. How did you first get started uh, to become an official artist? Uh, well, I guess uh, I started out really by collecting art, um, sketch cards, things of that nature, and so kind of by collecting, I then started uh, doing some of my own art and uh, I first got on with uh, Tops doing official sketch cards for them uh, way back in 2010. I believe it was Celebration 5, so I met the guys there uh, and um, got on to do some official sets. And uh, once you've done official work like that for uh, either Lucasfilm or one of the licensees, uh, which was Tops, uh, then you're able to submit to be in the art show at Celebration. So, And you were also part of the Celebration London art show. Uh, had you been in it to any celebrations before that? Um, that was my first one uh, being in the art show. So um, I have obviously been to tons as a fan. Um, as I said, that's kind of where I first uh, uh, met the people from Tops and, and got on um, at the one of the first ones in Orlando. Um, but yeah, London was my first time actually being on the other side of the table. And it was it was a really great, great experience. I had a good time. And you said you do collect other art and stuff like that. This being a collector's uh, kind of podcast, do you collect anything else? Do you collect the toys or any other aspects of Star Wars? Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of all over the place. I do. I actually uh, used to collect General Giant statues. I uh, have a ton of those, um, you know, the maquettes, everything like that. Like I said, art. Uh, I've always collected a lot of the arts. 
um, from the previous celebrations, like I said, that I attended. Uh, I enjoyed collecting that stuff as well, and I still do. Um, uh, and then the figures uh, and toys, I, I do a lot of that as well. I've actually got a, a couple of kids that uh, now are of the age to uh, uh, collect, um, so I'm always uh, looking for things for them as well. So, Okay, and so what are your those pieces that you look for in your art? What are your art influences that you kind of use that influences your own art? Uh, well, I do kind of really uh, cartoony, real stylized uh um, art and you know in my in my prints so um, you know any, anything animation I'm influenced you know any of the Disney uh, uh, stuff um, a lot of the early uh, Clone Wars and even the Clone Wars micro series stuff uh, those were huge influences on my art um, you know pretty pretty much anything that's just just fun and and, and real cartoony I, I really enjoy not only collecting but uh, it really has a huge influence on on what I like to do so anything other than star wars that you collect or that you work on yeah i've actually uh, like i said i do official sketch cards so i've had the the pleasure of working for um a number of other companies as well that do sketch sketch card work as well so um you know i've got to work on things uh like marvel properties um spider-man avengers uh pretty much all that stuff so um even i've got to do some things like adventure time which was cool because like i said uh doing the the cartoony style that was definitely a set that i had a lot of fun doing um but uh yeah so i've 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 been lucky to work on quite a few different uh, properties star wars is is the one that i started with and it's the the one that i have the most love for but uh, it's fun to branch out and do some some uh, other uh, uh properties as well and so what is your process? Do you do most of your artwork by hand? Have you switched over to digital means? Uh, kind of take us through your your own art. Uh, well, it's a little bit of both actually now, which uh, which is actually pretty cool. Um, uh, a lot of the sketch cards and things like that that I do obviously are hand-drawn. Um, uh, you know, they're hand-inked and, uh, you know, I add the color and everything with with art markers and things of that nature. But, um, you know, recently uh, there's been a big shift, you know, with uh, doing a lot of the stuff digital. So um, you can do a, a lot of things in Photoshop as well. Um, you know, I, I actually do a lot of work in Procreate as well on, on an iPad. Um, so the, the print that I had in London was kind of a mixture of both where um, a lot of that I, I hand drew and then scanned that in and then kind of did the finishing work and the finishing touches in Photoshop. Um, for this print uh, that I have and that's going to be in Orlando, um, it was actually a little bit more digital. I did a lot of the, uh, the, the actual drawing and inking and coloring um, directly in the, in the computer. And uh, so it was a little bit different, uh, but, but, you know, end result I think is the same. So you got to do a little bit of both, which has been, been fun. And speaking specifically about this piece for celebration in Orlando, uh, I know the theme is Jabba's Palace. How did you make your character selection, the the actual figures that you chose to put in there? Yeah, well, I, I knew I wanted to do Jabba's Palace uh, for quite a while. I, d- I did the Cantina one, which was kind of a, an advertisement for the Cantina. Um, and so for me, it felt like the next logical step was to do uh, Jabba's Palace. And um, that's the one movie that I especially remember as a kid, uh, just because that particular scene when I was growing up, uh, it was just, you know, it was amazing to see all those characters. And, um, you know, it was like it was real. Um, and, and it was just it was just awesome. So it was actually kind of hard to narrow it down. Um, you know, given the limited space, I had to kind of pick and choose which characters uh, I wanted to use. But I mean, I love drawing all the aliens, so I definitely could have uh, 
done a separate one with other characters, but uh, you know we had to get Jabba in there, obviously. And I think the ones that I that I picked are the ones that uh, the characters that I feel like most represent. When we think of Jabba's palace, a lot of us think of you know, Silicius is in there. Um, you know, you got the Gamorrean guard. Um, Trying to think who else we got. Jawas are in there with a bit with a big fan. So, I mean, there's there's so many characters you could put in there. There's so many great characters to choose from from that scene, and uh, hopefully, I I got some of the ones that that people really want to have in there. So, and it is kind of a companion piece to your celebration London print. Uh, do you still have any of those available? Um, I do actually. Yeah. Um, so, and that's kind of the cool thing. Uh, hopefully, if uh, people are interested in the new one they may want to have the old one as well so yeah i i I will have some of those available um hopefully at the show um but if not uh definitely online as well so um yeah the whole idea of kind of these in-universe posters you know advertisements if you will is is kind of the the theme that ties the two together and uh hopefully people enjoy that and do you take commissions if people want some other characters done oh yeah definitely um uh, yeah, commissions are, you know, either on sketch cards, uh, you know, sketches, pretty much, uh, what, what people are looking for. We, you know, I, I, we, sorry, I, uh, um, I, I will do. Yeah, definitely. In order to take commissions or other than they're at the art show in Orlando, how do people get in contact you? Uh, what's your, do you have a website or Facebook or what's the best way? Uh, yeah, uh, Brian DeGuire Art, uh, pretty much on any of your social media platforms is where you can find me. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, pretty easy to track down there. And I, I, you know, I share a lot of the, the work that I'm doing on those sites and, and obviously it's the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. So, all right. Well, thanks for talking with me today, Brian, and I hope you have a good turnout at the art show in Orlando and have a great time. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Talk to you later. Thank you, Daryl. And We'll definitely be looking for that print to get for Marjorie. Definitely. And, you know, as with any celebration, there's some autograph guests and kind of a big name this year. A couple of them. I'm already in for quite a bit of money on an autograph and a photo op for Felicity Jones, Jen Erso. I actually am really shocked the Oscar nominee is going to be coming to celebration. I mean, it's becoming more common for stars to do these kind of public signings. But if you read, which Carrie Fisher book was it? The Princess Diarist. She talks about how signing autographs is kind of the low level thing you do as a celebrity. She equated it to a lap dance. So think about this, guys. When you're going to get Felicity Jones's autograph, she's essentially doing a lap dance for you. Well, now I want to buy two. (laughs) Do they have the specials where like... (laughs) The two dance for one price specials going on at Celebration. It depends. Does she have another movie coming out? If not, it might be the two for one special. <laughs> but yeah, Carrie Fisher talked about it. It was really interesting. She talked about how it's if she needed money for something, she'd be in a store shopping. Oh, I can't afford that. Well, I guess I could do a convention and sign some autographs to get some money. So that's how she got spending cash. Well, speaking of Carrie Fisher, her passing, it actually hit me kind of hard over the new year. Because we would see her pretty regularly. I guess she did a lot of shopping because she went to a lot of cons that we were at. And it made me realize I never did one of the photo ops with Carrie Fisher. We got her autograph way back at Celebration 2. And so now I'm really making sure, and I want to pass this on as a Celebration tip, that you don't take this stuff for granted. No, you don't. I can't tell you how many of those people we got autographs for 
at Celebration 2, which is our first big convention we went to. Because we used to go to Wizard World together all the time before we got married. And we went to the Star Wars Celebration instead of doing the wedding planning week before our wedding. Still worked out okay. We're still we're married. married. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's all good. But so many of those guys that were there don't do conventions anymore because they're, I imagine, older. Some of them have passed on. And I think that we just like got this golden opportunity right there. And thank God we did. I mean, we blew money we didn't have at the time because we thought we'd never see these guys again. And we were right. I remember getting Mark Hamill's autograph and he was actually reminiscing about Phil Brown, Uncle Owen, who we had gotten back at Celebration 2 and he mm-hmm. had passed away. And so because of this, I, yeah, I just decided that I wasn't going to skip out on some of these things. And so for Felicity Jones, I went ahead and bought the photo op and the autograph. Now, it looks like they've sold out of the autograph alone. But Wow. This is going through StarWarsAuthentics.com. And I don't know a lot about them, but Official Picks is out. And I guess Star Wars Authentics is in. But yes, for the photograph and the autograph, $450. That's pretty on par for a big celebrity. How much did I pay for Chris Evans? Well, there were some conventions with Wizard where he was VIP only. So the photo op, the autograph, and admission to the convention ran 800 900 or something like that so yeah this is on par but it's still high in my mind because it's a lot of money celebrations (laughs) are expensive but 200 was the autograph and 250 was the photo op it looks like she and alan tudyk are doing a dual photo op where you can get both of them for 300 dollars as well so It would be in the same photo. You wouldn't get two separate photos, but that's not a bad deal to get the two Rogue One stars like that. Alan Tudyk himself is a hard-to-get autograph. I mean, this guy, we have been to so many conventions where he's there. I mean, I know every single one of you are Tucker and Dale versus Evil fans, which... I love that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. But I digress. He's also in Firefly. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, Yeah, that's the reason why people really want to get his autograph. Oh, they're not flashing him. Those are brown coats, not trench coats. Okay. If you recall from way back in the mid-2000s, for some reason, brown coats don't like Star Wars fans. I don't know. There's some rivalry. I don't get it, but whatever. I think that's long since passed. But yes, he has Firefly fans. He's now on a DC Comics television show. So you're going to have DC Comics people. Probably not here, though. No, this is a Star Wars convention, but guess what? I may very well take Tucker and Dale versus Evil to get signed. I mean, just because I'm a Star Wars fan at a Star Wars convention doesn't mean... I think there is now a Venn diagram with quite a bit of Firefly crossover, so... But yes, Alan Tudyk is going to be there. His autograph? Only 65 bucks. You know, I'm going to say that it appears that the autographs have kind of ratcheted back to a regular price i mean for a while no one was cheaper than 70 it seemed and we've got daniel logan for 30 dollars. that's quite a good price if you need baby boba fett but he's not baby anymore he's like 30 and riz ahmed from rogue one he's 65 dollars, and he got a lot of buzz as an actor because he did do a good job in the movie but yeah there's some bargains here if you're into autographs Billy D, 
he is only $60 for his autograph, which he had been creeping up to close to 100 previously, if you recall. Yeah, it seems like they are working to keep some of the costs down. Of course, things aren't what they used to be. I mean, Yoda Puppeteer Deep Roy is still $30. I remember I got him for 15 at Celebration 2. But then again, the price of a dollar, inflation... Well, Jeremy Bullock is $35 for an autograph. That's Boba Fett, the guy in the Boba Fett costume. That is a great price. So I think there's some opportunities here. Some other good guests. You have both emperors here. Ian McDermott is coming back. I mentioned my horror story of trying to get his autograph before. I don't think it's going to be that hard this time. And the other emperor, I Clive Revel, is going to be there. He's the voice of the holographic emperor. $35 for an autograph. Hey, do you remember that time that we went to Disney and went to Star Wars Weekends and got Anthony Daniels autograph, but he wasn't allowed to sign anything per Disney? And then we went to Dallas because he was there. Yeah. And we thought we'd never see him at a convention again signing. You know what, though? He is still hard to get. If you want C-3PO's autograph, it is cool that Anthony Daniels is signing because sometimes he'll go to conventions but And he emceed, but he wasn't signing. Like, he didn't autograph at the celebrations because he ran the stages. Celebration 2 and 3, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. The prequel celebrations. So he's going to be there. It's a good list. So a lot of cool people so far. I am still hoping that we get some more guests, though, beforehand. And it's interesting to me that absolutely nobody involved in the new trilogy is there is there no i think the puppeteer of bb8 is there yeah but i can't keep track with their secretive filming schedule i know mark hamill tweeted last week that he was someplace he can't say doing something he couldn't talk about so maybe they're shooting but i would think that you might be able to get some of the people from there and no so maybe celebration 2019. But these days, things are a little bit different than they were when Carrie Fisher was talking about, because now Chris Evans, as you mentioned, Chris Hemsworth, a lot of bigger name celebrities are doing this, and it's not as looked down upon. I mean, Sylvester Stallone signed at New York Comic Con. Robert Rodriguez was there. I think there will always be the celebrities in the autograph halls that fit the stereotype. Your soup Nazis, your... Almost Wars, Never Was, and One Hit Wonders, Clinging to Fame. I certainly have thousands of those autographs that I've gotten at horror conventions of, hey, I was victim four in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and that's the (laughs) only time I ever worked. Yes, you're going to get some of those, but nowadays, you will get some of these bigger people. But with all these autograph guests, even if you buy a ticket in advance, actually, especially if you buy a ticket in advance, the thing I would recommend, because I... Remember to this day, and thank you, John, in Texas, I hope you're listening, for being the only reason I was able to get Ian McDermott's autograph with his three to four hour line. Budget your time wisely. Know that if you're going for Felicity Jones's autograph, that's not going to be a quick walk up. That's not going to be like a McDonald's drive through That's going to be a foot-numbing long line and it's probably going to be one of those that gets capped and it's probably going to be one of those that you're in the line and then the handler comes out and goes one two three nineteen twenty okay at this point she's going to go into lunch or she's going to go to a panel and she's going to be back in two hours 
You can wait if you'd like. That kind of thing happens, and just expect this, and especially if you're putting down this much money ahead of time and know that you're going to have to block your time for that. Yeah, we waited hours for autographs at Celebration before, and it's just unfortunately the way it is because there's a high demand. The stars only have so much time. I mean, I don't think she's going to be on a ton of panels, but... I mean, she is going to have to eat. She's going to need breaks, guys. So just keep in mind that that's going to happen. The best thing I can tell you is to make friends with those around you if you're solo. Seriously, line buddy. I mean, lots of times when I've been waiting in line, I would say, hey, I've got to go run to the restroom real quick. Would you hold my space? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can I go when you get back? Oh, absolutely. I've done food for people when I've come back. That kind of thing. So make friends. That's what it's about. And that gets to really our celebration tips that people have requested. And for long-time listeners, you may have heard some of these before. We did this before the last U.S. celebration. We were at Indiana Comic Con with Daryl and several other people and roundtabled some tips. Andrew was there, I believe. And yet, technology changes. Life changes. And so we have some new ones this time. But my number one tip to anyone going to a celebration, whether this is your first convention or your 50th, Time management, looking at the schedules. It is sometimes really numbing to have to look at all the various schedules because there's so much going on. The collecting track, the main floor, all the different rooms that have all the different panels. And you may be interested in some and not in others. But knowing what you want to do and understanding you'll never be able to do it all. The point of a convention isn't like a college class where you have to take your core curriculum in order to graduate, and so they're going to offer it three or four times. There's going to be panels like the opening ceremony that are only going to happen once, and there's going to be a huge demand for that. So not only budgeting the time to be in the panel, budgeting the time to get in the panel. Yeah, that's the main thing is when it comes out, I would start prioritizing. What are your must-dos? If you have two must-dos that conflict, there's no magic to that. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to pick which one you want to do. I would also have a backup plan because it doesn't really happen at Celebration that often, but occasionally rooms do get capped and you can wait in line for something that was like number one on your list and not get into the room. So it's always good to have something else that you wanted to do during that time if you fall through on your first plan. Yeah, I remember Celebration 2, the one thing we didn't get to do, Star Wars in 30 Minutes. And we waited in line and waited in line and we missed one and we waited in line for the next one. And we were the first people turned away for the last event of that at the last time. So mm-hmm. didn't we have to go see it in Chicago when he was touring? That was the one man Star Wars oh, trilogy. That's right. Okay. Which we went to Chicago to see specifically because we we knew he was going to be at Celebration. We also knew time at Celebration is so valuable that we went to Chicago to see him not in Celebration, so we didn't have that as a must-do at Celebration that might get turned away. And it was a little bit of a longer show, and I think it was well worth the trip. He was really funny. Yeah, they don't do things like that since Reed took over. They don't have performances-type stuff. I miss that stuff. I really like that stuff a lot. Remember when Celebration 3 and then the Rick McCallum's spectacular thing, and you go and it was literally the room was standing only, and they'd shuttle you in. It was kind of like a Disney ride. You'd go in, you'd 
stand, see some footage from the movie, everybody go, oh my God. And then they funnel you out and bring the next group in. And technology has changed. They don't do that anymore. They're going to show footage. I guarantee it. We're going to see some kind of reel in the opening ceremony this time. And they're going to put as many people in the opening ceremony as possible. And that's the panel that's going to have Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson. You know they're going to tease us probably with like a behind the scenes reel for episode eight. And probably at this point, I'm going to say the first trailer. Yeah, I'd have to think that at least. It would probably be smart that they would attach it to Guardians of the Galaxy coming out a couple weeks after because Disney owns both properties. Guardians is going to be huge. You get the eyeballs on it. But at Celebration 2 and 3, the internet wasn't the video thing it is now. So yeah, Rick McCullum would show us the video and then let in another group to see it. Now they'll show it to us once and then they'll put some of it or all of it online at least the trailers they'll put online they may show us something they don't put online they did that at the last one but i kind of miss the experience though i'll agree with that yeah but there's so much to experience that it's kind of good you can do some things online and figure out what you have to do at the convention and I'd say that goes for money, too. What do you have to buy at the convention? I am I feel like Dinosaur Jr. from the 90s. I feel the pain because this is an expensive trip already, and we haven't gone yet. <laughs> My bags aren't even packed. And I talked about the great exclusives. There's always a question over what is important to buy at Celebration. And these days, I don't know that there's anything that you can't eventually buy online it just may cost more and so i think a lot of the fun shopping at general vendor booths that you had at celebration two and three and four i think a lot of people didn't spend their money there because there were so many exclusives there's the celebration store and so when you're going through the floor really think about what you have to buy there and what you may want to look cheaper if it's an exclusive you certainly want to grab it Keep in mind, there's probably not going to be too many bargains for stuff because if you think about it, you've got a captive audience. So usually what I do is I'll take a tour of the floor a few times and every once in a while I'll find like an impulse item that I'm like, oh my God, I've been looking at that for so long, I have to have that. And I'll buy it just because I know it's hard to find. But typically I'll just kind of meander a few times, make a shopping list in my head, and then go back and get the stuff maybe the last day or something. Yeah, and sometimes they're more willing to haggle on Sundays, something to keep in mind, because when the vendors, and this is not the case at, like, Kotobukiya. This no. is the case at Jim's comic shop that's brought some Power of the Force 2 figures that he wants to unload, or maybe has some hot toys or some statues and things. Those are the vendors that would deal. And then, of course, there's always getting it home, too. You have to ship it. Assuming it's not something you can just add to carry on luggage. So keep about that. And with the Kotobukiya exclusives, look at what you can order online. I've ordered those online already because that's one less line I have to stand in. Yeah, I paid for shipping to be delivered to my house. But if I went to Orlando, I'd have to stand in line to buy them, carry them through the con, then pack them up and ship them home from Orlando. There's a convenience factor and a time-saving factor in placing that order online. I really hope they do it again, but they had a FedEx room and FedEx people at the con where you could go and they would ship your stuff for you. They'd pack it up for you and you could just give them your account number. You could just pay and it'd be so easy. And expensive. There's usually yeah. a $10 per box convention center surcharge. 
and then they mark up the price of the boxes and everything else about a hundred percent above what you'd pay at a regular FedEx. Honestly, my practices burn the hand if I'm there. I'd rather pay a little more to know it gets shipped rather than drive all over Orlando looking for some place to ship. I hate giving FedEx money. And I hate the $10 convention surcharge because nothing we ship ever fits in one box. No. Well, that's not my fault. Partially is. Speaking of exorbitant convention fees, this is a huge tip that I have. Bring cash. Bring lots of it. Don't count on ATMs at the convention center because if they have cash left in them, I think muggers have taken less from me than certain convention center ATMs. I feel lucky I do have one of those bank accounts that will refund ATM fees, but I have to think my bank is like, wait, what ATM was this that I'm refunding all of these fees? Also, the convention center ATMs often have lower limits than you want, and I think they do that because I have to put my card in four or five times, and then they charge four or five fees. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Everything in a convention center is exorbitantly priced, including drinks. Get yourself bottles of water, stay hydrated, and don't pay them $5 for a bottle of water. Honestly, we usually run to Walmart or Walgreens and buy a case or two of water, keep in our hotel room, and then I take a few with me each day because I can buy half a case of water for what it costs for one at the convention center. I also pack trail mix, granola bars. If I can get fruit, I will pack some fruit for us just for little snacks. Not bananas because those smotion bags. And they're disgusting. Bananas are gross. That's why you don't get bananas, kids. But just like little things you can munch something single serve and you're still going to pay less at Walgreens than you are at the convention. You're going to have to eat lunch there probably. You can make sandwiches. We've done that before too just because you get tired of the convention food. And we're stuck there all day every day for like a week. There's only so many times you can have a pretzel dog because it's not the San Diego Comic-Con pretzel dogs. And that kind of leads to also you need a good bag that you can carry stuff in. It is such a stereotype, but it is so true. Everybody at a convention pretty much is carrying a large bag because when you buy something, where are you going to put it? If you have a book you want autographed, how are you going to carry it? If you have bottles of water and granola bars, what are you going to carry it in? A good, durable backpack, but not a huge one and not a solid one that's not going to compress. Be kind to those around you and not clock them in the face with your backpack. Do you know how many times that's happened to me because I'm not a tall person and you've even done it to me and I think it's because you're more aware of other people sometimes maybe than me. (laughs) You turn around to talk to me, whack, right in the face. I have been at San Diego one time where I literally saw something out of like a Groucho Marx movie where somebody was turning and somebody had to like duck under the bag and then stand back up and like act like nothing happened. It was really an amusing sight. But this is why I advocate backpacks that are soft versus something else like briefcases. Most conventions don't allow rolly carts, suitcases, things like that. Even the single arm sling bags and messenger bags aren't always the greatest thing. Now, see, I love my sling bag that I've got for my camera because my camera is accessible and it's close to my body versus having to take off my backpack, get out my camera. And it also doubles as a purse and it's kind of incognito because it doesn't look like a camera bag. Also, keep in mind of bringing maybe some manila envelopes or some hard protectors for comic books or if you're getting an 8x10 signed autograph, they sell protectors 
where you can buy one of those to make sure it doesn't get bent. But having a bag that has a laptop area or something that's usually pretty flat and has a slightly rigid surface, usually what goes against your back, will help protect those and not let them get all crumpled. I highly suggest if you're going to have more than one print of like the same size, like if you're getting 8x10s for celebrities or maybe, you know, art prints or something, the company that makes the art books, like you see the artists have on their table, they make those in all different sizes, and I highly recommend getting one. They all fit pretty well in a backpack. The 11 by 17 just kind of barely, barely fits. You can kind of zip it up and kind of keep it secure, but it is fantastic because your prints are protected. I highly recommend those. I carry those around all the time at conventions. I toya is the name of the company that makes the really good ones. And they have every size from postcard to poster. And a lot of times what I'll do is with some of the bigger ones, because a lot, posters are pretty common. You want to probably take a poster tube, but you can also take one of these larger books to keep back in the room. So every night you can unload your poster tube into the book and then it goes into your suitcase. Hopefully you're not getting any 36 by 48 posters, in which case then, yeah, just keep it in the poster tube and ship it home. Mm-hmm. But when prepping, one of the big things that I think in 12 years of hardcore convention going, the thing that I have learned most is take care of your feet. I really can second that because your feet are holding you up. You're walking on your feet. If your feet are not happy, you're not going to be happy. I have an Apple Watch. It tells me how many miles I walk during San Diego Comic-Con and during celebrations. And 20 to 30 miles on a couple days is not an unusual amount. I usually post it to Facebook and my friends are all like, oh my God, what did you do? Well, I went to San Diego Comic-Con and yeah. Hall A to Hall H is a, is a hall. So I recently went to... Shields, which is a sporting goods store that's a chain, it's pretty big, and I talked to somebody there, and they changed my life by actually measuring my foot, looking at it, and recommending, first of all, I got a pair of hiking boots that are intended for people who are just going to be walking for miles and miles and miles. Obviously, if you're at a convention, you're not on rough terrain, but if you can hike a trail for 40 miles in these boots, they're going to help you at the convention. And I try to take two pairs so that I have different pressure points. I also found some good runner's shoes that I explained what I was doing. And I'm standing a lot and they're like, these are really well cushioned. They're for runners. They're going to help alleviate some of the pressure when you are just standing on an unforgiving surface for a long period of time or walking on it because this is for runners who are going to run on cement and do a marathon and what have you. And the other thing, this is a slogan that I've taken to heart. Cotton is rotten. Yes. Sorry for any of our listeners in the textile industries, <laughs> but it turns out cotton socks have been the bane of my existence for a decade. Yeah, we switched to the smart wool socks at the recommendation of these shoe people at Shields, and when you went to Comic-Con last year, you did not get a single blister, did you? No, and if you don't know what smart wool is, because I was not believing him i'm like wool i don't want to wear wool in san diego in july what are you crazy but no it's smart wool and it's smarter than some government officials because it knows when your feet are hot and it vents mm -hmm. and it knows when your feet are cold and it keeps the heat in so even though i'm wearing technically smart wool socks at no point am i 
feeling like my feet are warm. I'm not going back to the room at night and like wringing them out from all the sweat because they were wool. No. And they just help prevent blisters. And I got those for both the tennis shoes as well as some bigger ones for the boots and that kind of thing. Apparently, cotton socks are one of the biggest causes for blisters and wear spots and just things like that. And of course, break the shoes in, test the socks out ahead of time. When I bought those, I tested them at the Comic-Con in Philadelphia, because I felt that was low risk, <laughs> you know? If but I- you stood on a cement floor for eight hours, though, unfortunately, so I could get Chris Evans's autograph again. But it was Philadelphia, and it was like a two-day convention, and if I'd had an allergic reaction to the smart wool or something, I would know ahead of time. But breaking them in, they really changed my life at San Diego last year. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely amazing, and they last forever. We still have the pairs we bought almost a year ago, they're really easy to take care of. You just wash them, no fabric softener, and you air dry them. I throw them in the dryer on the no heat setting and just let them tumble. They're fantastic. I cannot recommend these enough. So yeah, I say if you spend money on a statue, spend some money on your feet. (laughs) Well, honestly, let's think about it, though. You walk every single day just about, right? Yes, I do. Okay. I think most people do. Well, be kind to your feet. If you're going to walk ever, you run, walk for exercise, go talk to somebody at a local store. It's really worth it to get some tips like that. And then also what you wear is so important at one of these conventions. It's going to be Orlando. It's going to be April. It's not going to be the super sweltering that it was when we were in Orlando in August. I checked with our Orlando residents, Chris and Sarah Hamilton, and they said during the day it is shorts weather. However... You're going to be inside a building, and if you're not mobile, chances are you're going to freeze. It is always cold in the panel rooms, I've found. The floor gets a little warm. You are not to be judged on this. Don't trust her. (laughs) She's cold always. (laughs) Sometimes the panel rooms are cool, but that may be a welcome relief because sometimes that exhibit floor gets warm. When you are in rooms that are packed with people... Each person's bringing about 100 degrees with them. So it depends on how crowded the room is, how crowded the room was beforehand on whether it's warm or not. But yeah, I would suggest layers. Shorts and a t-shirt are probably your best friend for core apparel, but having a lightweight removable jacket, having some jeans available for the evenings. Yeah, you just need a jacket for the evenings. Ladies, capris are the way to go. You guys have the luck because then you have shorts and pants all in one. You call them capris and you just wear them all day. I'm sorry, what about your shants? Yeah, those are just ugly. Every guy wears shants. Yes, but they're not, not shorts, they're not pants, they're shants. Yeah, they're not fashionable, but... Y'all wear them, so I don't know what's going on. They have lots of pockets, too. Pockets are your friend at a convention. It is nice when you have cargo shorts, not gonna lie. The other thing you want to do is take care of yourself. I usually have a little kit that I keep with me with just the basics. I have some sort of pain reliever, Advil, Tylenol, something like that. Excedrin, occasionally. A lot of times those fluorescent rites and the temperature change, hot, cold, is often rough on your head. You get a little bit of a headache. It's also got a little bit of caffeine in it. Not gonna lie, that's a sweet thing. I carry Pepto, I carry Gas-X, that kind of stuff, because you never know what's gonna hit you. You're not gonna be able to find it at the convention, usually. Also in that kit, 
Put a couple band-aids. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to have like a cut on your thumb and now you have to ask for first aid and do all that whole thing. If you just have something that needs a band-aid, having one, or if you get a blister on your foot, having a band-aid is really helpful. And I will tell you that I have cut myself in some really weird situations. Like I pinched my finger in a tripod once and I needed to go ask a security guard for a band-aid. So carry band-aids. Breath mints. Carry breath mints. I do carry breath mints with me. I have some really cool ones that kind of melt. You don't have to chew them. They're kind of like gum, but not gum. I don't even know what they are, but they're they're great. You don't want to have onion breath when you meet Felicity Jones, right, guys? And speaking of caffeine and things, let's remember the 5-2-1 rule that should happen at all conventions. At least five hours of sleep. At least two meals a day. And dang it, at least one shower. That is not optional. I'm looking at you because I smell you. <laughs> you know who you are. Be kind to your fellow convention goers. If you forget deodorant, as I recall, there's a Walgreens just walking distance from the convention center. Amazon Prime is a beautiful thing as well. <laughs> yeah, you had to use that Walgreens because you got a tattoo at the last one. and did. did not think to bring the lotion you need to keep a tattoo moist after you get one. I did not think to bring it with me. But you know what's funny is I still have that jar of Aquaphor. <laughs> and it's sitting there. I'm like, well, I should just get another tattoo. And you're going to forget the aquifer. We'll be back at Walgreens again. That is correct, because I love Walgreens. There's one more tip I want to give everybody, and this is, I guess it's kind of two tips in one. Make friends. Don't be afraid to talk to anybody. A lot of people are going solo. It's how Andrew, who, you know, does some stuff on our show, and Brian became friends, is they were solo and started talking to each other. And that way, you're never alone. Make friends with people online. Make friends you're talking to. There's a lot of swag going on. Great way to make a friend. And lastly, have fun. That's what you're there for. You spend a lot of money to get there. You're going to make your own experience. Do it with a smile. And don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're like really like freaking out about something, I'm probably going to be in the social area of the collecting track. The whole convention, I'll probably be in and out, but mostly camped out there because of the video project. Come and talk to me. I'll welcome somebody to come and chat with me. Heck, I'll give you three bucks to give me a soda or something, probably. I think you're shorting them. I think the soda is going to cost five or six. All right, yes. And that's another thing. I remember at Celebration Anaheim, you sent me out from the collecting area to go get lunch for the group. Yeah, I'll never do that again because those food trucks were stupid. You were really <laughs> mad. Like, where are you? Because the cell signal was not very good. Don't count on cell signal. Don't count on free Wi-Fi. You need to... Try to make sure you text when you can. But yeah, the food truck took my order in five minutes. I thought that was great. Then they said, stand over there. Your wait time's 90 minutes after they took my money. So keep that in mind as well when you're trying to plan for things like that. Something else to think about carrying, depending on what kind of camera you have, you want to carry an extra charged battery or extra batteries, extra memory card, because you're probably going to take a lot of pictures. There's a lot of costumes, that kind of thing. I'm going to say, depending on what kind of phone you have, consider when you want to take a real camera and when you want to use your phone. If you're going to go to the opening ceremony, you're not going to want to try to... use your phone and digital zoom or 2x optical zoom if you have the iphone 7 plus and try to get the stage that way you're going to want a real telephoto optical lens if you're just going around the exhibit floor though and you don't run a collecting site you probably don't need the dslr to get some pictures of things also be polite with your cameras the celebrities do not want every single fan there to become their own personal paparazzi and 
yes, on the one hand, it's kind of lame that they have the rule you can't take photos of the celebrities in the autograph area because no selfies because they charge $200 for that photo. Some celebrities will do selfies, but others won't. But you just got to be polite to those people and realize they're not monkeys at a zoo. They're people who are there to be nice and sign something for you and say hello to you. And I don't know, I just feel bad when everybody pulls out their phones whenever they walk everywhere on the floor. Yeah, that's kind of sad. And keep in mind that these are people. They are just like you and me. The difference is, is, you know, they work sporadically and get paid a hell of a lot more for it. But, you know, I'm sure while Felicity Jones is eating her breakfast at the Hilton or wherever she's staying, she doesn't want a bunch of people taking photos of her while she's eating her oatmeal. Mm-hmm. We have seen Stan Lee eat oatmeal. Yes. You will see them. <laughs> but leave them alone. You know, don't bother them. And finally, just some Orlando tips. There's the iRide trolley, which goes all around International Drive, which at the end of where the convention center is. They have an app. And if you go to their website, which is iridetrolley.com, it tells you where you can download it. It's got maps. And that'll take you all around. There's also going to be a taxi stand out front. I'm a big fan of Uber and Lyft. I use them a lot. If you haven't used them, get the app set up and set up all your payments ahead of time so you're not trying to do that for the first time at the convention with perhaps clogged bandwidth. Keep in mind, they do have surge pricing on those two, so don't just think that because it cost you $3 to get to the convention, it's going to cost you $3 to get back. Spoken from people who've paid $75 for a ride before. (laughs) Oops. But those really have stopped us from renting cars most times. It used to be whenever we'd go to a convention, especially with what we do, because we carry quite a bit of camera equipment, video equipment, audio equipment, and collectibles. I've always been a fan of renting cars at these events, but last year at San Diego, I realized Uber is a lot cheaper and a lot more convenient. Not just the cost of rental for the car, but the cost of parking the car at the hotel, the cost of parking the car at the convention center, if you can even get a parking space at the convention center. Before, that was not a problem, if you recall. When we, we'd go in in the morning and there'd always be parking spots right by the door. Yes, because we go in before they open because oh. we open the collector's track. But by 10 a.m. or so, the people who were out drinking the night before slept in a little bit and are rolling in may have trouble getting a spot. And yeah, I think speaking of drinking a little... Have fun. Come out to our pre-celebration dinner. Have fun with friends. Make new friends. If you're single, hook up. Go for it. There is speed dating. Yeah. If someone does it, I'd really like to interview you about it. We talked to Fernanda when she did it that time. Uh Uh-huh. And I know more than a few people who have found significant others at celebrations. And if you don't want to go to speed dating to be social, again, the collector social area. If you're listening to this... I'm guessing you're a collector and would like to discuss things with like-minded interests. Swag. It's all about the swag. And the social area is where you come to trade the swag. Definitely. There'll be people there with their swag, people there to trade stuff. All kinds of things will be happening. Just another convention tip. I've learned that swag has become a new form of currency. Patches are the (laughs) C-notes. They are. Patches are worth a lot of money. And then below that are the little items like Amy makes, little characters, custom perler things. Below that 
are pin sets that you have to get the whole pin and you put them to on cards and things. At the very bottom of the swag rung is the business card. So come in, trade your swag. I actually think Star Tots are above patches because Star Tots are so limited and so in demand. So they're the now retired by the U.S. Treasury $500 bill of swag. People will bring past Star Tots to trade from past years, just all kinds of stuff. But definitely check out the schedule. We're going to have it. There's a Facebook group, The Collecting Track. Check it out. A lot of stuff will be posted in there. I'll be posting a lot of stuff. Follow us on social media. Follow The Collecting Track on social media. And another tip. Set up mobile alerts for the sites you really want information from. The Collecting Track. If you want to get the sixth patch in our patch set, you're probably going to want to be able to know when The Collecting Track Facebook page updates. And Facebook is really terrible about showing you, the Facebook page fans, what is posted on a page. Because Facebook wants money. And so when we post something to the Star Wars Action News page, if we don't pay Facebook, approximately 5% of the people who like our page get to see it. And then the more people who like it and comment on it, that number goes up. But what I've read is the average is 10 to 12% of a page fans see that. But if you go to the page, you can say, show me this page's posts first. You can say, give me an alert when there's a post. I usually go to Twitter and turn on mobile notifications when I really want to know something. Like, I have it on for Sideshow 100% of the time. And yeah, every morning at 7 a.m. they post something dumb, but I also know when their pre-orders go live. So that is it for our celebration talk. To finish up the show, there is one other piece of collecting news for book collectors. We're not quite at Thrawn yet, but since our last show, Star Wars Aftermath. Empire's End was released. And no, this is not the same Empire's End as the Dark Empire third part comic that came out in the 90s. It's a new Empire's End, new canon, same old titles. Here to review that book is Brock. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review of Star Wars Aftermath, Empire's End, by Chuck Wendig. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books and Delray Audio. Star Wars Aftermath, Empire's End, picks up where the last Aftermath book left off, with New Republic freelancer Nora Wexley in pursuit of former Imperial Grand Admiral Ray Sloan to exact her revenge on Sloan's alleged part in the Liberty Day Massacre at the end of Aftermath, Life Debt. And Sloan herself is in similar pursuit of Gallius Rax, the leader of the Empire Remnant, who has put his glorious plan into motion gathering the remnants of the Imperial fleet en masse around the desolate planet of Jakku. The Senate of the New Republic must then decide if they will attack the Imperials around Jakku and put an end to this war once and for all, but politicking starts to get in the way of what seems like a no-brainer attack. Will the New Republic prevail? What is Gallius Rax's plan really about? Will Nora Wexley exact her revenge and find her husband? And if she does, will he be himself or still under the mind control of the Empire? All of this and more in Star Wars Aftermath, Empire's End. Star Wars Aftermath, Empire's End is the third and final book in the Aftermath trilogy. The series originally launched as part of the Journey to the Force Awakens publishing initiative back in September of 2015 and the first book proved popular enough for the publisher to continue on with the two sequels, Aftermath Life Debt 
and now Aftermath Empire's End. And you can hear my two previous Aftermath novel reviews in the archive section at SWActionNews.com or the Star Wars Action News YouTube channel. Now, I'm being generous with my use of the word popular to describe the first Aftermath book, as many Star Wars readers were frustrated by the first entry in the series, myself included. The second book, Life Debt, quelled some of my issues, so you may wonder by now, did I like how the author concluded this trilogy? Let's get into it. The title, Empire's End, will sound familiar to some longtime EU fans, as that was the title of the third and final Dark Empire comic book series published by Dark Horse Comics back in the 1990s. But I assure you, the title is where the similarities between the two books end. In fact, this Empire's End actually reminded me of the 1997 X-Wing novel The Back to War. That was the fourth book in that series following a successful trilogy of books written by Michael Stackpole, where plot and character development were brilliantly spread across three novels. Yet that fourth book in the X-Wing series felt tacked on. The whole book was leading up to a giant final battle, a battle we know is coming, and we read the characters, more or less, preparing for that final battle. So here in Aftermath Empire's End, we know the Battle of Jakku will be occurring, the battle where all of the Imperial ships that we saw littered on the planet during The Force Awakens find their way to the surface. But that battle doesn't start in earnest until there are about 130 or so pages left in this 420-page novel. Very late. Instead, we get chapter after chapter of mostly treading the same ground with these characters, not only here, as the book went on, but from where the last book left off. And there's a lot of time dealing with politics in the New Republic, especially a subplot regarding re-election concerns with Mon Mothma running against an unscrupulous senator who is spying on her and her inner circle, divulging information and playing it out in the press to further his own chances of winning. I get why this author included this in the book, but ultimately, it didn't pay off, especially in relation to the main event of the book, The Battle of Jakku. One chapter into Aftermath Empire's End, I noticed it felt like a completely different author was writing this entry. This book is written in a traditional style, with none of the freeform grammar rules and syntax shenanigans we had to deal with in that first Aftermath book. The second Aftermath book retained some of the oddness, but here, in the third one, is completely gone. This writing is much more normal, natural, the prose is not as layered, and the story is all linear. And once again, I found myself missing the thematic elements that Wendig brought to that first book, the highlight of that first Aftermath novel for me. The tangential interlude chapters return, and there are some that are more interesting than others. Again, few of those interludes have connection to the main storyline, the impending battle on Jakku, or the main set of characters. The standout interlude chapters feature characters we know. There's one with Chewbacca and his son and Kashyyyk, Lando and Lobot, and believe it or not, Jar Jar Binks. And as a nice bonus... There are two that continue stories from interludes in the last Aftermath book, the Malakili story on Tatooine, and the kids who are members of the Acolytes of the Beyond. The action scenes here in Empire's End are well laid out, pacing the events well with thorough and concise descriptions to amp up the tension. The space battles and the hand-to-hand -hand fighting during the climax were terrific. 
as this is the last of a trilogy, and few of the characters that are in the sequel trilogy, episodes 7, 8, and 9, are ever in any real danger, we never know who is going to die and when in these battles, which helped keep me invested. I wish we got more of the Battle of Jakku. It was certainly the best part for me of this volume. And there is a great scene of implied action when the reprogrammed battle droid Mr. Bones dismembers stormtroopers holding Nora Wexley captive. The best character work in this book is for Singer, the former Imperial loyalty officer. Singer was the only character I cared to read about and was hoping to read about more as the book went on. He has a fulfilling character arc, culminating in a beautiful romance with the Splicer Condor, which also picked up from the last book. The lead character, Norma Wexley, and her nemesis, former Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, seem to have the same notes play over and over. The way the two characters concluded at the end of this book, in terms of each other and individually, was not nearly as satisfying as the author probably intended it to be. Whereas with Singer, there was a real progression in the character. As for the rest of the returning characters in this group, not much has changed from the last time we saw them, and frankly, very few of them get any real closure that is worthwhile. A fun internet rumor about the possibility of the main villain here, Gallius Rex, being the identity of Supreme Commander Snoke in the new trilogy of movies wasn't helped much by this novel. I don't want to give too much away, but I will say the possibility of him being Snoke is not definitively answered. But I know how I am leaning on that possibility now. Aftermath Empire's End does have some nice connections to the movies and Star Wars canon. For example, we have a scene with Emperor Palpatine, the return of bounty hunter Dengar, the birth of Ben Solo happens in this book with some symbolic timing. One of the interlude chapters is about the members of the Church of the Force returning kyber crystals to their home planet. And there's also a mention of Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is a nice connection to Season 3 of Rebels, and presumably the upcoming Thrawn-centric novel. And a more obscure connection I picked up on is Emperor Palpatine's pleasure yacht, the Imperialis, is in this book. That's the same yacht that was featured in the recent Marvel Comics Lando miniseries. If you catch any additional Easter eggs during your read of Empire's End, please let us know about it in the forums at SWActionNews.com. Now, I will admit, I still have a bad taste in my mouth from the first two Aftermath books. This is a trilogy that I didn't really want after that disappointing first book. And even with the improvement that was life debt, I was not wanting to return to this story arc. Yet, Star Wars Aftermath Empire's End finishes up the Aftermath cycle, finally fulfilling on the promise of that first Aftermath book. In that Empire's End gives us more of that journey to the Force Awakens, if you will. We now have some answers on how those ships, walkers, and ordnance from both the New Republic and the Empire ended up on Jakku for us to bask in all its symbolic glory when we watch Episode 7. And how the First Order Stormtrooper, um, recruitment plan, let's call it, was first put into effect. If you stuck around after that first Aftermath novel and read the second, you will feel contented reading this conclusion, getting some nice finality to the Singer character arc, some great Mr. Bones passages, and that strong space battle at the end. You've heard me say, nay, complain in some of these reviews that I was surprised at the short length of some of these hardcover books in recent years, yet here I think I would have been happy with a crisp 275-page book where they arrived at the Jakku battle earlier and resolving some of these character plot points and arcs in a condensed amount of time. Now that this trilogy is complete, I am looking forward to the Grand Admiral Thrawn book coming next month. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for your patience while I've been sick and recovering. 
Thank you for your understanding, as I am actually still recovering, as you may have heard a frog in my throat a couple of times during the show, but I will try to get those all edited out. Thank you so much. We will be back one more time before celebration, so stay tuned. We'll have all the latest news on exclusives at that time. Till then, may the pegs be stopped and the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com slash support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and Yakface.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. I said, Hillary, can I play with the Death Star?
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm immature. Down with the sickness. Ooh, 